I can't hear myself, but I'm assuming you'll hear me just fine. Um, we are in uh, the Gospel of John. We've been in the Gospel of John since the beginning of the year. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time online, welcome. Uh, glad you're with us. Uh, I'm going to summarize much of what we've talked about already uh, in the Gospel of John, some of the big major statements that Jesus made. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to I want to just I want to summarize kind of the history of humanity, and we'll do this quick. We're going to start at creation, and we'll move through real fast. But um, when God made the world, he spoke things into being. There was no light, and he said, let there be light. There's light. There was chaos and disorder, and he spoke order into chaos. Uh, and, and, and each day he went about his business, and he made things good and then the day came for us to be made, and he, he breathed life into us, and he, he, he said, with man and woman together, he said, it's very good. Not just good, but very good. So you see, we just rang that song about how he loves us, and, and sometimes it might not feel like it. Sometimes we not, might not have that emotional response to God's love, especially in a time like this when when we're isolated and we're frustrated and the screens are telling us we're supposed to be terrified and there, there's so much that tells us that we, we don't have one that we can trust. But I want you to know that from the beginning of the world, God has been a relational God and he does not invite us into a religious relationship with him, but into a personal and intimate relationship with him. And we see this in the garden from the very beginning with the first two human beings. We see that God would come and walk with them in the, in, in the cool of the day. And every day, God would walk with them, talk with them. He knew them and he loved them. And they walked with him and, knew, and, and talked with him and they knew him and they loved him until they didn't. And the history of humanity is shaped by the fact that people said no to God and they walked away. And God from that point forward has pursued us, his people, the ones he loves so very, very much, the ones he wants an intimate walking, talking, knowing and loving relationship with. And so throughout human history, he he pursued us, and then he established individual relationships with individual people who would represent him to the world. Abraham, the father of Israel, you see this relationship with God, and God makes promises to Abraham, and he says that I will make your descendants, you and I, like the, the, seas, the, the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky, you will be unable to count, and you will represent me to the world, and I will be with you. I will be your God, and you and your children will be my people. That is an intimate invitation from God from the beginning of time. And he continued to pursue and we continued to say no. And he continued to pursue and we continued to say no. And there were times when we would come back to him and we would say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. But it was usually because we were in desperation because terrible things were happening. There might be a famine, there might be a plague, there might be a flood, there's something, something that, that brought us back to him. And I'm not gonna exploit what's going on in our world, but I will not ignore it either. There is something that God is doing right now that he is changing the world as we know it. He's taken away or allowed our distractions to be taken away. Sports, I can't even watch professional fishing. They don't get together anymore. It, 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 that's the only sport I watch. 
but sports and entertainment, movie theaters, restaurants, bars, doesn't matter. You can't go anywhere really, but the grocery store, I don't even know if the dry cleaner's open. And that's not just here, that's worldwide, but here we have it different. We're still allowed to do what we're doing right now. I heard yesterday in India, some of the people, they're, they're, they're under lockdown and they're being threatened with arrest if they break it. And some say that they're being threatened by the government that they will shoot you if you leave your home. Praise God that we live in such a place and in such a time that we can worship God freely, even in the midst of our own homes. And we can do that publicly. So with whatever God is doing, he's not telling me the specifics, but I do know this, even today, he's doing what he did from day three of creation. He is pursuing you to love you, to know you, to walk with you and to talk with you. And he wants you to talk with him, walk with him, know him and love him. I'm gonna offer a prayer here in a moment and then we're gonna read this passage from John chapter 17. But before we get to that passage and before we get to that prayer, I, I put this out in an email this week, but many of you aren't on our email list or I get long-winded in the emails just like I do from the pulpit. So you might not have gotten to the, to read all the way to the bottom to find this, but I want you to see something that, that applies pretty well. Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples. He knows that actually just a few hours after the passage we're gonna to read today, he's gonna to go off to pray and he's gonna be arrested and then he's gonna be beaten. He's gonna be tried and beaten. And then 24 hours later, he'll be dead. And then a couple of days after that, he'll beat death. But he knows what's coming because God, he's God and God knows the future. We don't, but he does. But I want you to hear what he says to his disciples right before this, right before he prays for them. He says, you believe at last, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my father's with me. And now he's talking about the fact that he knows, he's telling them it's okay. He knows that when he, when he goes off to be crucified, they're gonna be terrified and the, all the eyes of, the, of Jerusalem and, and, and Rome are gonna be on them. And, and he gets it that they're gonna have to hide for a while. He, he understands, but he's letting them know that he's not gonna leave them alone and he won't be left alone even if they kind of are afraid and they sequester themselves, but they will be scattered to their own homes. But this is what he says after that. He goes, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, there will be trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, it might not feel like it, but I want, you to, I want us to remember that God is the creator. We are creatures and God is more than capable of controlling anything that he decides to, to intervene within. So as an example, there's a, there's a, there's a time in the scriptures where we hear that, that, that Jesus is on a boat with his disciples in an earthquake, that's the word in Greek, a big storm comes up and it's gonna sink the boat. And they go back and they kind of say to Jesus, don't you care if we die? And he stands up and I think, I hope, the, the word says, quiet, be still. But I think, I think God kind of has this attitude sometimes. I hope that this is how he said it. He may have done it a different way, but he stood up and he said to the wind and the waves, quiet, like you might be doing with your kids sometimes when you just need a break. I think God sometimes says, enough, that's it. 
be still. Is he saying that now? Let's pray. Lord, I'm wearing Keens, but I want you to stand in my shoes. And you know me, I have a, the brain you gave me is, it runs fast, but it's pretty ADD. So I don't want to think with my thoughts, I want to think with your thoughts. And Lord, I don't want to speak my words, I want to speak yours. So I ask you to stand in my shoes. Give me your thoughts, give me your words. So that the people that you've drawn to yourself to hear this message today, that they don't hear Trent's message for them. They hear your message for us. Lord, be glorified in it and glorify yourself through it. We pray these things in Jesus' name through the power of the spirit that lives within us for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, I'm gonna summarize the Gospel of John with two verses, and it's easy. You go 3, 16, 17, 3. So it's John 3, 16 and John 17, 3. We're gonna read the John 17, 3 passage right here, but I want you to just see it. John 3, 16, the most famous scripture in the New Testament says, for God so loved the world, loved the world, that he gave, God's a giver, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, they won't perish, but they will have eternal life. And then John 17, 3 says this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That is the gospel of John. That is the gospel. God loves us so much that he gave his son and that we, through him, we won't perish, but we'll have everlasting life. And what is everlasting life? What is eternal life? That we know God. They have an intimate, walking, talking, knowing relationship with the God of the universe. That is what he wants for us. This is not a God who's standoffish. This is not a God who, who doesn't care. This is not a God who isn't involved. He's very involved, intimately involved. In fact, so much so that if you're watching this right now, if you're listening to this through your headphones, your iPhone, your Roku, your Apple TV, your iPad, whatever device, your Kindle, whatever device you have, whatever you're listening to, if you, God is so intimate and so concerned about you that if you are listening to this right now, he is calling you to himself because the scripture tells us that, that no one seeks God, no one. And it tells us that no one is good, no one. So the only way to, be, to, to become good is for God to make you good, to transform you, to change who you are from the inside out, to make you like he made you to begin with in a walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with the God of the universe. And if you're listening, you didn't decide for yourself. God whispered the thought and he's pursuing you and he's inviting you to join him in what he's doing, not only in the world, but what he wants to do in you. So hours before he's betrayed by one of his closest friends, Jesus finishes up saying what he was saying, in this world there will be trouble, but take heart, I have overcome it. He is, if he's capable of quieting the storm, you imagine what he can do with COVID? He can say, be gone, and it's gone. But I think he wants us to be still and listen and get to know him in a new way. It says, after, it says this, after Jesus said this, in this world, there will be trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He looked up toward heaven and he prayed. Now that's a, that's a Jewish tradition. We tend to bow our heads when we pray. They would lift up their heads and put their arms out and they would pray aloud so that not only could God hear them and anyone around could hear. 
And he says this, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority, speaking of himself, then the third person, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all, that he might give eternal life to all you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, that last little sentence could be a little bit confusing, but because um, it, number one, he's, he, he knows he hasn't completed. He, he still has to go to the cross. He knows that and he's going willingly. In fact, after this, he will cross the Kidron Valley. He will go up to the, to the Mount of, or to the, to the um, Garden of Gethsemane and he will pray and he will be betrayed. He will be arrested and horrible things happen to him after that. He knows that his ministry on earth is finished and now the sacrifice is gonna come. The blood of the lamb has to be spilled so that the, 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 the power, the spirit of death will, will, will pass over the people of God. But he knows, he's confident that he will be in the presence of the Father again. It tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. We praise God for that, that he completed the work that he and the Father and the Spirit had planned in advance for him to do. But there is some, there's one verse here that we talked about it already, but there's one verse here that is absolutely incomprehensible how important it is. And this is eternal life. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it from my perspective. This is eternal life that we, that I know him, the one true God, not know about him. And we're all pretty good at that. Most of us are pretty good at knowing what God says, knowing what God has done, knowing about God about Jesus. Most people, even if they're angry with God, even if they deny God, they at least can explain what Jesus did and what Christians claim. So a lot of people know about God. The enemy of God, the devil and his minions, they know about God. But the, the Greek word here for that they know you, the one true God, is a different kind of no. It's an intimate no. In fact, there's a, comedians used to say, hey, do you know so-and-so? Well, not in the biblical sense. Um, that, that's the word here. The word here is, is, is to know like a husband knows a wife, like a wife knows a husband. And, and we're not talking about just on the wedding day. We're talking about over the course of a lifetime. Lynn and I have been married. Lynn is sitting right here. Lynn and I have been married for more than 30 years. And I can promise you that I know her better and am known better by her today than in, on, on December 30, 1989. Did I get it right? Sweet. She knows me and I know her because it's a continuing and ongoing relationship. One with difficulties and frustrations, one of fear and disappointments, but also one of joy and knowledge. Not just knowledge about, but really knowing another person. That is God's plan, desire for you. He wants you to know him the way a husband knows a wife, the way a wife knows a husband. 
He wants an intimate relationship with you. Not just know about, but to know. So let me tell you a little bit about the God that wants to know you and that wants to be known by you. We've heard in John chapter, or in John, the gospel of John, there are what we call seven I am statements. See, when Moses, uh, when, when God came to Moses in, a, in the form of a burning bush, it's called a theophany. When he came to Moses, when he, his people had been in captivity for 400 years in Egypt and, and they finally cried out, to God in a way that, and God said, I've heard the cries of my people and I want you, Moses, to go and rescue them and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And, and Moses is interacting with the God of the universe who he did not know. And God, and, and he said, because there's an intimate exchange when you exchange your name for someone. Think about it this way. If you're dead asleep and someone walks up to you and says, hey, you probably don't awaken. But if they say, not you, but me. If your name is uttered, there's something about it. It tells you who you are. And it's an intimate thing. When God gives his name to Moses, he's telling Moses, I am with you. I know you and you can know me. So when Moses says, who should I tell them sent, sent me? God says, tell them I am sent you. Yahweh. The beautiful thing about that is that that name is so intimate and so sacred that the Jewish people were not allowed to utter it aloud. Even in the scriptures, when they came to that name, they would not speak it aloud. They came up with other names to call God. One time a year, after a sacrifice for the people, the priest would walk out and if he were holy and pure, he would yell out the name Yahweh. One time a year. And God, in the person of Jesus, seven times says to his friends, you and I, his name, I am. He tells us in John chapter six, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And he's not just talking physical thirst and physical hunger. In John, 8, in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the, right, or have the light of life. In John 10, 9, there's two in a row here, 10, 9 and 10, 11. And right in between, there's a beautiful verse. So I'll just do them all. He says, I am the door, I am the door or the gate. And he says, I am the good shepherd. But here's how it goes. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. But and he will come in and he will go out and find pasture. But a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it in all of his fullness. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. In John eleven twenty five, 25, he says, the I am the resurrection and the life, that he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? His words, his question, not mine. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Christians get a lot of grief over that exclusive claim, but it's not our claim. It's the claim of the one we worship. There is no other way to God except through the person and the blood and the sacrifice and the receiving of the Holy Spirit that comes from Jesus, the Christ. And in John 15, which we just did last week, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. There's the seven I am statements in John, but there's one more that we often miss. 
There's one more that we often leave out. There's one more that where, where Jesus is actually claiming to be eternal past. He says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham, which was more than 2000 years before Jesus lived, he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. And that's in John chapter eight, verse 58. So why tell you this stuff? Because if God wants to know you and he wants you to know him and you can't know him on your own, he's got to provide a way. He's going to sustain you because he's the bread. He's going to guide you because he's the light in darkness. He's the way, he's the person you come through to get to the father. He's the gate. He's the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Death will not take you. He is the way to get to the Father, the truth about what that way is. And he is life, not just eternal life later, but he's life right now. And he is the one that you need to stay grafted to, remain in him so that he remains in you. He's the vine and his father's the gardener and you're the branches. He always has been, he is, and he always will be. And he tells us that this is eternal life, that we know him really know him, the one true God. So if you know about him, it's a great start. If you want to know him, begin the process of an intimate walking, talking, knowing, and loving relationship with the God of the universe, the one who can say enough and have the whole world wake up. The one who can actually raise those who have died. He's the one who wants you to know him. How do you do that? Well, you start by telling him who he is and then by telling him who you are. See, Jesus here is praying that prayer so that we understand what it means to know God. And then he goes on to pray for his disciples specifically. And then he prays for all the Christians that will be you and me thousands of years later. You want to have any idea of the God of the universe, what kind of heart he has, how much he loves you? Read John 17. That right before he's going to go suffer on your behalf, he decides to pray to the Father for you. And you know what? He still does that today. He stands in the throne room of God the Father Almighty and he pleads your case. Not that he needs to, but he does. He pleads your case in the throne room of God. So how do you get to know him? Tell him who he is. Tell him who you are. And tell him that you've realized that you really have less control over your life than you thought you did. And that you need the one who is sovereign to get out ahead of you so that you're following the right path by following him. David, one that God called friend, always put, the, always put God in front of him so that when he was walking, he was always following the one who knows the way, who is the way. So I'm gonna pray here in a moment and you can pray with me if you like. You can pray and ask God to establish a relationship with you that will grow day after day week after week, month after month, and year after year.
You can start to get to know, not just know about the God of the universe. And folks, for those of you that know him and know him well, you don't need to pray that prayer because your name is already written in the Lamb's book of life. But you can pray for those who are praying that prayer. See, what's happening right now is that this building is empty. And so are the other churches, mostly around the whole world. But your homes aren't empty. They are the church. You are the church. You are a light in the darkness. You are salt of the earth, right where you live. God is doing something. He scattered the church, much like he did in Acts chapter two, when everyone was together and wonderful things were done and, and, and everyone's hanging on to each other and, and they wanted to stay together. And God said, nah, no, you need, to, you need to go. And he scattered them around the known world. He scattered us. Maybe it's just for a few weeks. I don't know. But you are, you represent the light of God in your home, to your neighbors, and anywhere you go. You can take that up and take the one you know with you. Put him in front of you so you know the way to go. And you can introduce other people to the one you know and help them get to know him too. Let's pray together. Lord, I confess that somehow, some way, many times in my life, I have said, not your will, but mine be done. And it's interesting that the next chapter, when Jesus is praying in the garden, he says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, you call this sin when we do our thing and not your thing. And I'm asking you now to forgive me for my sin. I accept and receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I ask you now to fill me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet with your Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter, the paraclete. And I ask for the courage and the strength from this day forward to live a life that reflects that I know you. Not just know about you, but know you. In the name of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.